Okay, we are recording. This is the Stack Exchange podcast, worst episode ever. But today's Stack Exchange podcast features Jeff Atwood, uh, your your not-so-special guest, and uh, I'm Joel Spolsky. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And uh, we're here with Stack Exchange podcast number episode number six. That's right. Hey, Jeff. This is also an experiment, uh, which explains a little bit of our um, hysterical confusion here. Uh, for the first time ever, we're, uh, there are um, a few live listeners who are uh, able to tune in using the Ustream. Facebook, Fa- oh, but then I can't look at the computer. Okay. I just, all right. Well, here's what I'll do. How's that? There you go. Okay. Um, this is kind of odd. How does Leo do this? Uh, Leo has a boom arm that drops it down in front of him. Okay. Joel needs one of those boom arms. I see this coming. <laughs> boom arm. Sign me up for a boom arm. So, Jeff, what's new this week? Well, the first thing I want to mention was I was thinking the old podcast we did. Yeah. Like, it ends up being an interesting record of, like, why we did the things we did at the time we did them. Because I've kind of forgotten a lot of that stuff now. I know. And the <laughs> trouble is it's all, um, it's all like, in audio format, which is, like, 86 hours of work if you wanted to listen to it all and try to get some benefit out of it. The show notes are pretty good. I mean, I can yeah. usually hone in and find... Uh, that, but I, I guess it's sort of a, the object lesson is, is if you're doing something like this and you want to have a podcast, even if only 10 people ever listen to it, mm-hmm. it's kind of useful for you to introspect on like your own actions and like why <laughs> why you made those crazy decisions three years ago that you don't really remember <laughs> all the reasons yeah. behind it now. Because God knows that a comment in the code would be too much to ask for. Well, it's it's dun, it's dun. part of the story, you know, and I mean, we have kind of, I know, I know these aren't really social sites in that sense, but there's a very strong community aspect to them and showing sort of the track record of, of why you did things and, and how you did things is, is yeah. kind of important. I mean, I'm, I'm reading this book now that Brad uh, Burnham turned me on to called super, super cooperators, super cooperators. And he starts with, I'm only about 20% into it, but he gets in, he starts with this guy is um, sort of a hardcore researcher. I don't know his exact background. Oh, no. He's a real scientist with, with, with math and computer simulations. And he's focusing on the prisoner's dilemma, which, yeah. you know, is about the, the paradox of... Uh, well, I won't go into the details because... I, it's the, I'm hoping it's a most standard problem from game theory, yep. Yeah, it's like, do you help or harm the other person? You know, and both people have to make a decision, and do you reach an equilibrium? And so he's doing a lot of research about that. And uh, one thing he found was that the reason... If you, if you view it as like a, a lab experiment where you have this one interaction, then it's kind of artificial because that's not how society works. That's not how people work. Right. People remember when yes. you sort of fail them. <laughs> yes, and, <laughs> and they, they punish you. Uh, right, and, and the funny thing is, and I read this in another book too, this, this concept of vengeance, like it seems mm-hmm. really negative. It's like, okay, if you cross me, I'm going to get you. Yep, you know? an eye for an but eye, it turns a out, tooth for a Without that... Cigar. You get some bad behaviors too. Like it turns out, vengeance uh, within reason. Obviously, if you have a vendetta, where it's like I'm going to follow you around for the rest of your life and make everything you do miserable, that's crazy. That's bad. But you know, if you screw me on this business deal, then I'm going to try to screw you on another business deal. <laughs> this sort of tit for tat thing was one of his first equilibriums. Was realizing that the strategy that tends to win once you get outside the trivial, isolated uh, chambers of, of prisoners' dilemma and start considering it as, as a chain of events. Um, was tit for tat, where right. if you do something bad to me, I'm going to do something bad to you, but not forever. Um, yeah, it was the, the um, it was the tit for tat with distortion, where sometimes because the trouble is, once you get into a retribution cycle, they they will then retribute you back just for retributing them. And so the yeah. uh, the optimum strategy was tit for tat with with errors where you sometimes fail to tat 
or tit. Um, you well, sometimes actually, fail to tit. That it's close. I mean, it, it, you're you're in the right ballpark. It sounds like. Have you read? Did you read this? Yeah, this is standard game theory stuff. This was uh, William Poundstone wrote a book about this uh, okay. a while ago. That was a popularization of what is the sort of the first year textbook on game theory in any standard university game theory course. Well, and again, I'm starting from the beginning. So this is the very beginning of the conversation about the stuff he's explaining all these theories. The thing that tends to emerge is what he calls generous tit for tat, mm-hmm. um, where you sort of penalize somebody initially, but then you sort of forgive them, you know, right. after time. So you can come back to some equilibrium because if you have this vengeance thing, then it's like everybody, it's eye for an eye, you know, everybody's blind. The trouble <laughs> it is even really work. The, the reason that tit for tat doesn't work is that you can accidentally get into a, a vicious cycle that never ends just to, to an accident. Like, like somebody interprets that the other party has harmed them and then, and then they feel obliged to punish the opposite party. And then the opposite party then must, well, then they obviously feel, uh, they they feel like they have to. Well, you just basically get these blood feuds that go on for centuries and centuries and centuries that might have all been set off by like an accidental misunderstanding. Yeah, it's really interesting because that's one of the fundamental game theory problems. And the reason it applies to us, and I think the reason Brad recommended it, was because once you introduce this concept of reputation systems, mm-hmm. that really helps you not have the bad version of the prisoner's dilemma. You start to have the good version because people remember, oh, because you helped me, I'm going to help you. And then if you broaden that beyond, you know, do I even know this person? Like the concept of the Good Samaritan, like you're driving down the road, you see somebody broken down on the side of the road. Are you going to stop and help them? You'll probably never see this person ever again, right? right? But there's this concept of reputation sort of in your head and also sort of in the broader world. It's like even though no one may see you do this, uh, there's still reasons that you'll do it and reasons like society will reward you for doing things like that. I mean, it it gets very nebulous. I mean, you start getting beyond – you know, in a tightly knit community of people, obviously you, you will have a reputation that people will be, you know, gossiping and whatnot about whether you're a good person, the bad things you do, the good things you do. Um, but on a greater societal scale, and certainly for Stack stack Exchange, I mean, that's the concept, right? I mean, we, mm-hmm. we, you may or may not see these people ever again. You might be a drive-by user getting helped once. So what is the motivation for anybody to really help you? So we, this, um, this whole pay forward thing. That actually, um, that brings up the one other thing which I've been wanting to discuss, which is uh, that... Uh, uh, you know, we have these badges, and, and hardly anybody even notices the badges. And you you may wonder, like, why would somebody do something in order to earn a badge that nobody's ever going to notice? Like, d- does anybody really see, like, oh, John Skeet got another green spiffy smiley badge or whatever the badge is that he just earned? And uh, um, uh, some of us in the New York office here went and heard Bing Gordon, who is um, the, e- the head of EA, Electronic Arts, the game company, for a long time. Uh, and he gave a little talk on game gamification and, and game theories and um uh, one of the things he said is that people uh uh you know they have their outward appearance the way they appear either in real life like what they're what clothing they're wearing like how they mm-hmm. appear to other people but also there's their appearance on the internet which is like what their avatar looks like and what flair they have next to their name and the little number next to their name and their little badge points and stuff like that and um they care about all that stuff and in fact their caring goes dramatically up if they believe that even one person see has seen that badge. So if one person comments on, congratulations, you earned a badge or you earned some reputation or um, I really like those shoes you're wearing in real life, anything like that, just having one person comment uh, in a positive way or negative way, just to even uh, you know appear to have seen something, 
um, makes you much more likely to continue doing that thing and to care about it and to believe that people are, are, are looking at it. So essentially, everybody kind of walks around on the Internet thinking that everybody is noticing all of their flares and their EPN and all whatever crap they've accumulated. And uh, in reality, they're, they're probably extrapolating wildly, but they do need somebody to notice it or they need to believe that somebody has noticed it or they won't care. Well, this is also the rationale behind doing things in public. I mean, I observed for a long time that <clears throat> the worst behaviors were in sort of closed systems. Yeah. The more you say, look, you know, this is a public artifact, behave here in a way as you would, as if people, you know, people are watching you. You know, you don't know who they are. There might be just one person watching, but somebody's going to be looking. Right. It, it not only encourages positive behaviors, people will see you helping another person and think better of you, but also they will see when you're mean to people <laughs> and you know, I've said this before, but it definitely bears repeating. It's meanness gets penalized heavily. That was one of my biggest surprises was that people don't like meanness. Like that is not something that gets rewarded and often gets penalized pretty heavily uh, in our system. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that makes sense. Now, as far as extrinsic motivation, I should mention this is an old meta post. It's, it's meta.stackoverflow.com, uh, question number 42481. Right, meta. Well, there's some. Typing, um, and just in that previous discussion, the book we were, the book I was discussing anyway, is called uh, Super Cooperators. Wait, say that number again: four two four one. Four two four eight one. Oh, four two four eight one. We don't see this a lot, Extensive but it's, it's motivation. It's it's a user John Erickson who um, sort of got disenchanted with sort of the the reputation systems that we have and the badges and stuff like that. This is really rare. We don't see a lot of people. They'll just usually ignore it if they're not into it. But it, uh-huh. it's rare to hear someone make a somewhat articulate case that they thought the system was actually a negative. You know, it was actually harming their participation on the site. And I, I think it varies person by person. I'm not you know yeah. denying John his his right to have this this opinion about this. And I thought it was really interesting. And I read it several times just to make sure I wasn't missing anything or there's something we were doing wrong. And, you know, there are certain classes of people that you can turn off with systems like this, but I think the benefits sort of outweigh yeah. massively away. There's not <laughs> even um, – the, the, um, that was another thing that Gordon Bing uh, mentioned is that there's just a certain number of people. There's a, actually a small number of people are directly motivated by something like having a point system with monotonically increasing points. There's a large number of people that just don't care, and there's a tiny number of people that will actually play – actively get really involved in the game um another another interesting thing he mentioned is that uh when you when you make a game if you make it a cooperative game almost everybody uh prefers that to a competitive game um and the one exception is the 18 to 24 year old male but pretty much everybody else prefers a cooperative game uh to a competitive game and i think we've been clear too that you know the goal here is learning i mean there is there's sort of a higher purpose to this game it's not a game for the sake of getting you more coupons to Denny's or something like that. <laughs> this, is a, this is a game with, where the purpose is learning. That's a purpose. For you to, Denny's? Yeah, for, for you to teach other users and for you, other users to teach you. So you get better at this thing that presumably you value. Others, why would you be there? Like on the DIY site, you're there because, wow, I really like working on my home and I want to learn how to do this. I find it a rewarding and fulfilling activity, you know. So there, I think because Kathy Sierra had emailed me asking about the gamification stuff and she, she was actually annoyed because she, it was a turnoff for her. And the game? The game scores? Well, just Kathy that everybody that? viewed it as like the magic bullet. Like it was oh. the magic thing you add to make everything fun. Well, what is annoying is that it's becoming this sort of knee-jerk automatic thing that everybody slaps onto their website yes. for no purpose without any that thought. She, that's what she was reacting to. Yeah. But I think what you can't capture there and probably, I probably should have articulated it in a more clear way to her was that 
you have to sort of have a higher purpose to say, yes, this is a game. This is overtly a game, mm -hmm. but it's in service of this higher goal. You know, again, beyond coupons to Denny's. <laughs> this is about making you a better person in some small way. It's something that you actually give a crap about. Right. Um, now, there are things that that can be extended to, but I think you've got to start with, you know, a higher purpose. Like, this is a game... To, to make this good thing happen. Well, I mean, you don't I, you don't have to. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we like to, but but you can make Zynga, and, and the higher purpose is nothing other than wasting time and updating your cauliflowers. Well, right, but that's kind of evil gamification. <laughs> that's sort it's of just game. Tricky. No, it's just a game. It's just a game and yeah. nothing else. I mean, I guess it's in the sense of, like, gambling. Like, when I go, Las right. Vegas to me is very boring because I don't really enjoy gambling. But if it's entertainment to you, if you enjoy the gambling, then, yes, go there, gamble, have fun. Right. Um, that's fine. Um, if, your... if you find it intrinsically yeah. rewarding, um, but I think in some sense we're, you know, trying to trick users into into playing the game and actually, you know, getting getting something useful out of it they didn't necessarily anticipate. And I don't think you're gonna ever wake up one day and wow, I learned a lot from playing World of Warcraft, right? Whereas right. you might actually wake up one day and say, wow, I learned a lot from participating on Stack Overflow or Serverfall, <laughs> even though I didn't mean to, right? Or Farmville. <laughs> So, uh, but wait, we, we're kind of a, f a ways off from the cooperation versus the tit for tat competition. Well, the cooperation and, part is that yeah. you know teaching and learning. Everybody's a yeah. teacher and everybody's a learner. In fact, there was a really good article that Jen retweeted. I'll have to put that in the show notes about the Wikipedia, how Wikipedia is sort of deconstructing the idea of experts, which I've been saying for a long time that there really aren't pure experts. I mean, there's some continuum where you're a beginner and or it's you're kind the of, guy. Who, uh, about everything. That, but that this is... concept, you're continually learning, like the perpetual intermediate, right? This is the concept of UI where nobody's really an expert. Everybody's just sort of muddling along in if the you, middle. If you were an actual expert, I think you'd be infuriated by this idea that we should just go with what the average person thinks rather than what I have spent a lifetime learning. If you well, are, that's not exactly what I'm trying to say. <laughs> if you are, let's say that you are the world's foremo for, foremost expert on, on testing in, of bilingual students. And, and you've been studying this for 30, 40 years. And somebody writes a Wikipedia article that's just completely wrong. And people keep editing it to make it more based on common knowledge rather than based on what you have actually learned over the years. You can see how that would be a little frustrating. That sort of reminded me of, uh, I think there's a one of the Isaac Asimov books, there's a character like that who's just, where, where essentially the academics have devolved into just copying each other. And all they're doing is reporting on common knowledge rather than actually going out and investigating things themselves. It seems like that's where Wikipedia is going, don't you think? Where it's just like, yeah, who cares what the actual fact is? Who cares what the experts say? We're all about the crowd voting for whatever the most popular opinion is. Well, I think it's more participatory. I mean, I think that's, that's the... There's both good and bad things about it, but I think the clear good is that it's less about... Um, um, discussing, you know, what might happen, and uh, just trying a bunch of crap and seeing what actually works and what doesn't. And the other thing I would I would remark about Wikipedia that you've seen for a long time is the most obsessive members of the community win. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now this has good and bad aspects to it, <laughs> but I do think that unlocking this idea that uh, through the internet, you know, some guy in you know Eastern Europe who's completely obsessed with X, where so X is some useful mathematical thing, can now find an outlet for that, you know, for the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a clear good. I found the article. It's at the all, the A-W-L, T-H-E-A-W-L dot com. It's called mm -hmm. Wikipedia and the Death of the Expert. 
I thought this was particularly well written. Because this is a thing that we have tension about, because Joel is always saying, you know, our sites are for experts, and ostensibly they are. I mean, we want yeah. s people who know what they're doing on the sites, obviously, to lead the way. But they're also tools for people who, who are obsessive about this topic but and want to get better at it. You know, we did a little study of this. We did the uh, reciprocity study. Did, have we talked about this in the podcast? Because I don't want to repeat myself. I can't remember. Uh, give me the, give this is the short version. Just short version is that we did a little study to see what percentage of people ask questions, only ask, only answer, versus doing both. And the people who both ask and answer questions uh, in a given month are um, rated as, uh, we just call them reciprocals. I don't remember why. And then we measured for each site on the Stack Exchange Network what percentage of reciprocity there was, what percentage of people uh, both asked and answered. And the least successful uh, sites on the network in some ways either had a very low or very high reciprocity. And the sweet spot, I think, was 14%. So there were some sites that only had 10% reciprocity, meaning... Uh, there were only 10% of people that both asked and answered, and we felt like those were on the verge of becoming the kind of sites where a bunch of experts sit around and answer questions for a bunch of newbies. Um, and in, in the other extreme, there was these sites that were 40 50% were, where 40% of the people were asking and answering, and we felt that those sites were um, a little bit too easy. In other words, everybody could answer any question, and they were they were bordering on chat rooms where everybody has an opinion, and people feel free to just chime in on all kinds of stuff. And uh, those weren't really, I mean, those are fun, but they're not successful for our format. You certainly see a lot of focus on track record. I mean, this concept of reputation systems, because one of the key points of this article is that even if Wikipedia is wrong, you can sort of trace why it's wrong. Mm -hmm. There's sort of a, 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 an audit trail of, of why, how things got to the way they are and sort of all the discussions and everything that produced that page. Yeah. Something just rang. Producer Alex, was that... Uh... Uh, we are still we are still attempting to to raise our, our guest on the uh, on the inner inner tubes. This is bizarre. I have like this gigantic microphone on my desk and a big headset, and I feel like it's like a nineteen twenties telephone. Well, we can mention that we're now an open ID provider. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a big that deal. Was one big piece of news. Oh boy, that is a big deal. Uh, so yeah, let's talk well, about that. I'll give you the the Reader's Digest version from my perspective. Okay, and then I'll give the completely opposite perspective. Completely yes, the opposite. The, well, well, Joel. First of all, Joel is a huge OpenID fan, which it says in his profile <laughs> that he's a huge Open. So you know that he's a huge oh. OpenID fan. Oh my God! Um, yeah, if I have a heart attack right now, um, just continue the podcast without me. Yes, yes. Uh, because so you might as well for all us, the listening you do to me. The benefit to us is well, we still accept all the things we accepted before. So this is additive. We're you not taking anything away. We're log adding. on with Google. Yeah. So the main benefit is there. There's definitely research data that shows when you send users to another site to mm -hmm. sign up, mm -hmm. you kick them off your site, it scares a certain percentage of users away, which makes total sense. So yeah. one of the advantage of, of us having this high level of integration being our, our own open ID provider is that we don't have to send you off site. From your perspective as a new user, you're on site X where X is, I don't know, English.stackexchange. Yeah. You stay on that site, you sign up, and then you log in, and, and you haven't been transported to this other alien place. Yeah, which was in the past, it was myopenid.com where we said, hey, want to sign up? Try this one. And then you were landed on some funny site that looked like a domain squatter of some sort. That's right. The other issue with, although myopenid has generally been okay, they had a couple fairly major things go wrong recently that I was pretty unhappy about. Um, it's not really a paid service. I mean, from Dan yeah. Rain, there's no real incentive for them to improve this service. Um, and it's not really their fault. That's just the, the the way it's set up. They have this other paid service that obviously they want you to sign up for. Mm -hmm. So it's not 
unreasonable to think that this service might fall into disrepair at some point and would maybe stop working, <laughs> right. which would be bad for us. So we, we now have a fallback, which is which we directly control, you know, which is our OpenID provider. Right. Um, so those were really the, the, the main two benefits from, from my perspective is the on-site sign-up and then no longer having, you know, a, a total dependence on, on my OpenID. Um, although I would also make the argument that I don't know who would be signing up for sites that wouldn't have a, a Gmail account and or a Facebook account anyway. Well, there is a certain so. percentage that do that, so there you go. I mean, we then we have stats. They, they no, exist. options are good. I'm all for options. Options are good. Although, you know, you could make the argument, I think Joel has made this argument several times, is, you know, showing people options also scares them away. It's like, oh, I have to sign in. I have to pick. Do I sign in with Stack Exchange? Do I sign in with Google? Do I sign in with Yahoo? Do I sign in with my OpenID? Do I sign in with Facebook? You know, which one did I use to sign in? You know, yeah. I'm sympathetic, but I, I think this concept of third-party credentials, that's kind of unavoidable. Like, if you sign into some picture-sharing service with Twitter versus Facebook, you have to remember that you signed in with Twitter and not Facebook. I mean, I don't know how to avoid that. Yeah. Um, audience member Michael Pryor has asked in the chat room, have there been any tests to see if there's a lower bounce rate on the sign-up page now that we have our own provider? And um, Kevin does have some stats, and I think he's showing that pretty much all we did is diverted the people that would have gone to my open ID anyway. Uh, we've pretty much diverted them to us, but it hasn't increased the number of signups as one might expect. Well, and also the, the thing I kind of objected to in private, previous discussions about this is you don't actually have to sign up to do stuff on our site. I mean, the core action, which is asking mm. a question or answering a question, does not require you to sign up. So you wouldn't actually be blocked. So it's kind of a weird – I think we're a little bit unusual in that regard because on most sites, like, you can't do anything until you click register, right? I mean, you can do nothing, literally nothing. Right. Um, so it's kind of a weird thing for us to measure, and you know, I'm open to improving it. Like, you know, it can always be better. I'm, I'm not opposed to making it better. Um, yay! I, I think that OpenID would have been awesome if uh, if it had really taken off. But given that it didn't really take off right now, we're one of the only people that's out there pushing it, and 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 it's been that way for a couple of years. That we're still kind of, you know, at some point, when do we give up and just, you know, OpenID has just not really succeeded at what it's supposed to be for. I think it's working well for, like, I mean, discus for blog comments. I mean, that's to me, is one of the big, low-hanging fruits of, like, I go to your blog, won't leave a comment. Right. And I had written a blog entry about sort of my thinking about this, and I made a mistake in it. Like, there was some screenshot where I had <laughs> some, the name of the bank was wrong. It was the ATM machine. And the guy's like, oh, he's like, you got the name of the bank wrong. It's this thing. And he's like, you know what? You're right, because I wouldn't have actually bothered to post this comment if I had to register <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my, my point is that that actually yeah. works. That's one of the big, low-hanging fruits. You know, I'm not saying you should sign to your bank with OpenID. That's crazy if you talk. Uh, mostly I'm just looking at, you know, those scenarios where it's – and I think you're seeing this with, with yeah. picture-sharing services. You like logging – Oh, this Facebook. little chat that we have right here on Ustream right now, um, which I had to make a dumb little account for, and I've already forgotten the password for it because I auto-generated yeah. it. And no, no, no. Those are the big – those are the, the big – That's where it would wins. be useful. It would yeah, be. It would be. I would love to see that. I've seen it on – well, Discus, there was one other that you mentioned that I do actually use. Oh, Hacker News. Hacker News supports it in a yeah. very, very crappy way. Yeah. And the other thing we've seen is if you support it badly, that's oh, almost that. worse. Riley says he it. did log on to the chat with his open ID, which is cool. I mean, I wish I figured that out. I didn't even see that. Okay. Oh, So you could theoretically chat? log on to the Ustream chat with open ID. I found that when Joel says he tries, he doesn't try very hard. He's a fair like just I said, I didn't see no, it. No, I can't figure this out. <laughs> I didn't. Well, I was trying to concentrate on the podcast. <laughs> I'm just, and I'm just, just giving crap. It's fine. I'm uh, just giving crap. And also, no, that's good. Um, I, was, 
<laughs> I was. I do that intentionally somewhat. It is. It is. It, I, I deliberately dumb myself down. Now I'm serious here. When I'm using uh, user interfaces to t- try to perceive what they're like for a regular person, not a super genius like me, I have to try to slow down my brain, not read any of the text that appears, just to sort of, you know, just poke at the random boxes and try typing in them. All kinds of things like, I don't know, I'll put my email address. Let's try my, let's try my email password. It's like, no, you're signing up. You're making up a password now. Oh, I think a lot of people don't get the difference between providing a password to sign up for. All right, who's playing Friday in the office? <laughs> oh, it's a doorbell. It's the doorbell yeah, the to the doorbell Stacky Stage office. That's it. I think Jeff is right about, about working from home. I, I give up. <laughs> oh, look, there's a Shiba Inu taking a crap in the corner. Oh, no. Never mind. <sighs> okay. Okay. So we covered that. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Any luck getting Alex Steve? Alex has put puppies up on the Ustream, and I can't. <laughs> uh, turn off the puppies. It's just too distracting. They're like crack to Joel. You can't show puppies to Joel. That, that, okay, he just yawned. That's adorable. Stack Exchange logo. What were you even talking so, about? Well, we, we had just finished talking about the provider. Okay. The one other thing I can talk about that I, oh, I have to blog yes. about, but I haven't gotten to, is that we, we did uh, change it so the downvotes don't actually cost you any reputation anymore. Because oh, that's we a wanted shame. To, yeah, well, we wanted yeah, to encourage reason. more voting, just more voting in general, but I think there are a class of questions, particularly on... Not so much on the smaller sites, but well, it depends. I mean, it should be. The but. thing is, if questions come in and they're they're really not good, I mean, they're to the point where somebody really just didn't even try. Mm-hmm. They kind of need to be downvoted, um, because we, we we lose our ability to discriminate between good and bad questions because there's simply not enough voting on questions. So, they, but I don't know if the. Vote. I mean, is that really going to change it? The fact that you don't lose. Well, you, you used to have to pay one point to downvote. I know it seems really tiny, but like. There are so many users. I got, I've been told so many times by users who have like ten thousand plus rep that like I can't they download don't want to download. That'll cost me one rep, and I'm oh. like, I don't, I don't even understand how to process that statement. That makes no I sense know. to me. But there's a huge, there's a non. I was so proud of that feature because it was like it was like the, the the feature you always dreamed of in New York City, which is you can honk as much as you want. It's just five dollars each time. Honking will be allowed, but you have to pay for it. And you'll do it if it's going to save a chicken's life who is trying to cross the road. But, but you're well, not going to it, do it. It's on questions only, first of all. We didn't, we're not going to change that for answers. Oh, that's change. a good one. Okay. Yeah, it's only questions. It's okay. Only questions. So you can downvote questions freely. Go ahead. Go crazy, you guys. Let's downvote some bad questions. Yay. Yeah, or upvote good ones. You know, just that whatever works. That would be works. even better. I and mean, we also, you can actually cast up to 40 votes now, of which 10 have to be questions. So we actually increase your voting, your daily voting quota as long as you actually vote on some questions. So yeah. Every question vote you cast is sort of a free bonus vote up to 10, and then you got your 30 answer votes. I hate to quote uh, Gordon Bing one more time, but, but he actually said that if you have a system of points in your game, that uh, you should also show lifetime earned points, like a monotonically increasing number, even if there's a way of losing them or, or spending them. Bing Gordon. Did I not say Bing Gordon? You said Gordon Bing. Really? Yeah. Gordon, Gordon Bing. Gordon sounds like a first name. <laughs> I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Bing Gordon. 
Former president of the, yeah, let's just, you're going to edit that out in post-production. You just rearrange the words, right? Um, well, uh, uh, he said you should have monotonically increasing points. That's something the airlines learned with their frequent flyer miles because you would earn 20,000 frequent flyer miles and then you would spend them down to get a free ticket. And then you'd be looking at your account and it would be like zero and you'd feel like a big loser even though you've already fl- flown 20,000 miles on that airline. So now the airlines, every time they tell you your frequent flyer mileage right next to it, it says lifetime earned miles and the total number of miles that you've learned in monotonically increasing form. So um, that might be kind of a neat thing we could do on Stack Overflow somewhere in the profile. Basically, even if you spent points on a bounty, we'll still tell you how many you've earned total ever. Um, we don't see that much bounty activity. So in general, Doesn't that is matter. true. Well, I mean, maybe we that's the reason. Maybe if you didn't feel like, maybe more people would be willing to give a bounty if they felt like it wasn't decreasing their lifetime reputation. It was just decreasing their balance. Yeah, it's it's possible. I think we're pretty close to that as is because bounties are kind of a niche thing regardless. I mean, even if you made bounties, I don't yeah. want to say free because that would be crazy, but if you reduce the cost dramatically, I'm not sure they would get used that much because it, it just you have to really care a lot and you have to put in some effort to start the bounty and follow up on the bounty. It's kind of like having an eBay auction, really. <laughs> from the, from the, In the chat room, Moshberm says, bounties feel expensive. I don't know why. Why do they feel expensive? I guess it's because you're used to dealing in tens and twenties of points, and the bounties are like 100, 200, 300. No, the bounties can be as low as 50, but the, the, I think the lowest bounty is 50. So yeah. that's true. It's a fairly large chunk. It, it's really just a tool. You know, when we came with bounties, there were two goals. One is to get more questions answered, obviously. And mm-hmm. the second was, once you have a lot of rep, it's like, what do you do with it? You can't spend right. it. I mean, you have this large number. Yeah. You want to use it to – you become Bill Gates, right? You have all this money or Mark Zuckerberg or whoever, yeah. and, you, and you want to fix the world. It's like, oh, look, a question that I really like, I would like to see an answer. Blam, slap a bounty on it. You don't have to think about it, right, because you have so much rep. But like you said, we have users with 20,000 rep that agonize over every downvote because they lose one rep. <laughs> so maybe you're right. Maybe yeah. that's another reason they don't you know, use the bounty system as much as they should. Lifetime rep. Maybe we just have lifetime reputation so they don't feel bad. There's something. There's yeah. another. There's another phenomenon which the uh, airlines figured out a little bit too late. Um, the phenomenon is that it takes you just as long to go from ten thousand to twenty thousand as it took you to go from zero to ten thousand. But the entire time you're going from ten thousand to twenty thousand, your reputation number starts with a digit one. So basically, your experience is you go a thousand, two thousand, three thousand, four thousand, five thousand, six thousand, seven thousand, eight thousand, nine thousand, ten thousand. So and you then basically there's a no pause for that long. Well, what the airlines started doing is they started giving you um, like 50% bonuses for being above a certain point, which is totally bizarre. Um, we got puppies again on the screen. Damn it, Alex. Uh, <laughs> the puppy peed in the corner and mommy is cleaning up. That's adorable. Uh, and the advertisement says train any dog in six days. This is just infinitely distracting to have Shiba Inu puppies in the corner in the, on the screen when we're doing our podcast. I think we might have to go to um, a picture of the Stack Overflow office or something like that, just to kind of random. I think you have to avert your eyes. Uh, I don't even know what we were talking about anymore. Oh, so um, so because of, that, because of that syndrome that you start to feel like you're stuck forever with your first digit being one, you almost want people to get like an accelerant, which says, you know, you're, you're, you earn a reputation at twice as fast once you get past 10,000. And it doesn't mean anything. It just means that the people above 10,000 have their bounty sort of or have their reputation spread across a wider field. You know, they're like only using the even numbers instead of the odd and the even numbers. But uh, uh, it does cause that sort of psychological feeling of making progress, not to slow down so much when you hit the, the, the mystical 10,000. Well, we kind of do that because you get a lot of reputation, a lot of privileges early in the system, very early. I mean, yeah. 
for you know once you get to two thousand three thousand rep there's like it's kind of a wasteland you got to get to ten thousand right well that's another so thing when you get to ten thousand it just starts to get bo- boringer and boringer well no there's there's a twenty thousand thing now anyway um where was i going with that i don't know i can't remember <laughs> this has been a great podcast oh, well i was hoping we could puppies. get steve i really did want to talk to him but i'm looking we like we might have to get him next week get him uh, producer Alex says next week. Um, th- we we've also got. Uh, I want to get um, Dave oh, Warner. What about Dave Remember? Warner, didn't yeah. you? Didn't you uh, we had lunch with him over? today. He's agreed to be on the show, um, so we'll get him oh, on nice. a, on a future episode. I didn't want to. Um, that it, it, he's an interesting guy, and he's mellowed out a little bit over the years. So uh, that will be a good podcast. Uh, also in the queue, Jason Calacanis. <laughs> um, we got. Uh, I finally figured out Rory's new email address. He's changed it. No longer right. Rory at Neapolitan, Neapoli, right. whatever. So we'll get Rory on. We'll get uh, we'll get a lot of good uh, guests uh, in the queue. What about um, that guy you guys are always talking about, the bingo card guy? Oh Did yeah, we get Patrick on? McKenzie. Sure, we get him. He's in Japan. And he sounds interesting. Yeah, he's um, uh, th- those of you from home know him as Patio Eleven on the Hacker News. Yes, I know him as Bingo Card Creator guy. Bingo Card Creator. He's um, he made a little bit of money writing the world's best Bingo Card Creator and just making an amazing website for it, um, and I, like optimizing everything about his funnel so as to sell a lot of Bingo cards. Um, but now he's realizing that he can do about one hour of funnel optimization consulting and make as much money as he makes in a year selling the Bingo cards to to school teachers. So um, so now he's a funnel optimization consultant. Based on his years of experience selling bingo cards, bingo cards. but no, that, that's actually valid because I thought the story was much more interesting than the actual product. I was like, okay, bingo oh, cards, sure. who cares? Yeah. But but like his thinking behind it was really fun to follow, and like just the story. Mm-hmm. This is classic storytelling, really. Mm-hmm. It's like the the topic didn't really matter. Unlike our like, podcast, <laughs> there are stories that it's interesting. I got to think of a story Where? to tell. Oh wait, wait, I have oh. a story. I have a story. Okay, tell it. Okay, we are going to start hiring like a community team. Uh, we already have a community team. We have a real, we have a community team that I think of sort of as an inside community team, meaning they handle the existing communities. And um, we want to start hiring kind of a an outbound community team to kind of evangelize the Stack Exchanges a little bit more, um, and also to uh, basically provide logistical and administrative support for the limited community team that we have and for the for the members of the of the stack exchange sites i don't know if i'm describing this well but um uh if you want to um, see the full details you can um go to the stack exchange site click on about stack exchange.com and click on the um about link and and there's a we're hiring button on there and you can see all the open positions that we have and this one is called um community evangelism team and it's going to be a team we're going to call them chaos ch AOS, um, uh, based on Get Smart, of course, not the current TV show named Chaos, but the old Get Smart, and uh, uh, which is awful, by the way. What? Chaos with it. a K, yeah. Jason says it should be a K. He's like, I know American Sign Language, and <laughs> and uh, uh, the K, CHC. Well, the C is for community, H is for help team, all one word. I know that's not a word, but I like it being help team, helpic. Helping, community helping, no, community help team and organizational support. And they're going to provide support for uh, the communities who need helping and 
Uh, it's really hard to describe. It's the perfect job for a humanities major that just graduated from college and wants to be bossed around and be told, send this to here and call that guy and make this thing happen and, and arrange for that and so forth. Is that a good description? That was a terrible description. So, um, so he put out the job description, which is pretty detailed and pretty complicated and pretty uh, I- extensive. It's, it's sort of, you know what it is? We, we wanted this job to be for all the kind of people who have a very nice liberal arts degree and have found that it is completely useless um, and are now looking at a lifetime of entry-level work in a public relations firm, um, you know, sending stupid spam to, to journalists and stuff like that. Um, and instead of doing that, come come join us and uh, help us make the Stack Exchange awesome and great. Uh, and um, we started uh, get it. We got a bunch of bunch of applications. Um, we're going through this sort of process of giving them a really really easy internet um, aptitude test of some sort, sort of like a like a like a fifteen minute SAT test. That's just sort of oh, a first level. Wait, Joel, screening hold on. I got it. I got it. Oh. This could be like our own mechanical Turk. We could pretend to want to hire all these people. Uh-huh. I tell them, hey, all you got to do is go ask a question on the Stack Exchange site or answer a question. Oh, and then and t- so we can see if you deserve a job. Exactly. <laughs> and then we end up with all these great questions. Actually, they probably wouldn't be great. No, no, they're not allowed to ask questions. They're basically, they're going to follow the, um, uh, what I've previously described as the Betsy Weber School of, of Public Relations, which is that you are not allowed to ask anybody for anything ever under any circumstance, ever. You are only to offer things. You could give people things. You can help people with things. You can help people with their problems. You can send them stuff. If you find out that they that they have a dog, you can send them biscuits. But you can't ever ask anybody for anything. That's my that's my Joel's law of public relations. Right. It's gonna be fun. Well, I do think one thing you're not really mentioning that I think is kind of important is this idea that you're actually a good communicator. If you have a humanities degree, oh, absolutely. You know how to yeah. write. You know how to communicate. You can yeah. actually interact with other human beings in a way that they can actually understand. Right. Part, part, programmers are not always so good at. Right, right, right. Part of the part of the filter for this. I mean, th- I don't think any programmers will apply for this. Um, you know, part of the filter is going to be um, there's going to be a little test where you got to sit down and you got to write, you know, ten emails. You know, and we're going to describe circumstances, and you're going to have to basically dash off very quickly a one paragraph, well written, you know, friendly but stern email uh, to deal with ten situations. And, and you know, part of the test will be kind of judging how well you you deal with that situation. Part of the test will be, you know, judging how well you write. Um, and just sort of how, how well you deal with those kind of things. And I think we, we have about a billion ideas here. Uh, you know, the classic example, uh, the, the closest idea uh, that we uh, – pr- probably the most successful thing we've done in this area is sending out free games to users on gaming.stackexchange.com um, so that they can, you know, try them out and write about them maybe. Uh, and that's the kind of thing we want to do times 50. Like we want to do this on 50 sites in the Stack Exchange Network, not just one. Uh, so that's why uh, we're putting together a team that will have nothing else to do all day but this. So right. if you or anyone you know is a humanities major, you want to help with community development, you want to learn about evangelism, um, the new way, the well, 21st century way. logistically a New York position than the one you're describing. Uh, yeah, yeah this one is uh, in like New York. Yeah, we, 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 we are always hiring uh, remote people as well, so don't hesitate to apply uh, for other jobs. But this particular one is going to be a, a, a team here in New York. And producer Alex is getting very excited about building a gigantic video wall uh, that we're going to use to keep track of all our stuff. We've got five flat-screen TVs on order, which will be arranged in portrait mode right next to each other to make the world's largest Video, well, not the world's largest, but the, the, our, our office will have this big, gigantic video wall that we use to keep track of everything that the mm-hmm. evangelism team is doing. So we can just sort of glance up there and say, all right, this week we're promoting this. 
right. and here's who's doing what and that kind of stuff and little charts that will go up and go down and possibly even a video of Shiba Inu puppies. They're being adorable mm. right now. Oh, are they on? Which, which tab is this in? There. I can't see it. Throw it up. <laughs> They're being adorable right now. Uh, oh, here's a question. I'm going to take a question from the audience. Can Joel explain yeah. why he doesn't think the great programmers are not to be found found developing internal company apps? Yay, puppies. Okay. Uh, I, I think the question, uh, there were too many negatives in there. Why aren't the great programmers developing uh, in, internal company apps? Um, you know, I wouldn't really say it that way. What I would say is that internal company apps are just not that interesting. And so to the extent that programmers feel like they have a choice of where to work, they're unlikely to be interested by internal corporate apps. Uh, they're much more likely to be interested by the kinds of things that are going to influence and affect a lot of people. They would rather work on a Twitter client or um, something that allows people to see puppies from their own home than, than work on a thing which you know handles the sales tax reconciliation project internally uh, at, at a company that they may or may not care about. Um, it's not 100% true. It's just a, a generalization. And, and in, in general, um, the better programmers are and the more they realize they're good, the more marketable their skills are, the more choices they have and where to work and the less likely they are to pick that, that, that job. Uh, at a corporation um, doing something internal. The one big exception is outside of major cities where there are product jobs available. So if you're in a little town somewhere and really the only programming job available is at the big sawmill, then go ahead, take that programming job at the sawmill. But um, that is my explanation. Hey, Joel, I should point out that we also have a Stack Exchange chat room for this. Chat.stackexchange.com. Oh boy! Rooms slash rooms slash five twelve. It's a good number. It's five twelve. But no puppies. Wait a minute. I'm about to get an. Oh, I'm getting an advertisement for insulin being broadcast to me through the UStream. All right. I like the idea of us taking questions. Let me let me go into the Stack Exchange room and see if they have questions. Okay. For us. People in the Stack Exchange room, this is your chance to ask Jeff a question. Yeah. Uh, all the people saying no sound are referring to the puppies, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. It was on puppies. There. Oh, but the puppies don't have sound. That's the whole point. Right, but it'll be our sound over the puppies. Oh, that's what we wanted. Yeah, here. See, now there should be our sound over the puppies. Oh, my God. They're so <laughs> yeah, really, puppies are, are pretty, pretty extremely cute. All right, well, we apologize for the last the loss of the sound. While we had the puppies. Um, <laughs> so I'm asking in the chat room. They're like, oh, yeah, we probably should have been thinking up questions in this chat room. <laughs> randomly chatting. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, also, we should I have been on record as being anti-puppy. No, I'm like, and this is just okay, too much of a distraction. Okay, cut the puppies. Yeah, that is a distraction. Um, we're 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 learning how to do this. I think what we'll do is we'll have a video uh, of uh, me talking. Can we feed a video of Jeff? You really don't want to do that. That would be a bad idea. Yeah. We could basically have, if we just had uh, uh, alternating between me just sitting here talking with uh, the, the Stack Exchange office in the background, uh, you know, people walking into the kitchen, getting food, and going out to the ping pong table and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, that'll be the background. You know, Joel, have you mentioned um, the, the, the math.stackexchange intern? I think we might have mentioned it before. Oh, yeah. But as far as like stats, this wall of stats that you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. He could um, do that a might be a good thing for him to think about. Yeah. You know, well, he's got to find, in general, he's got to find metrics that we should be metering. Metering? 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 
Measuring? Jason nods. Measuring. This is, you know, it's so much better doing a podcast here with the chat room and the live audience of one. And because, you know, I, I don't have to know the answer to everything. I can get Jason here, American Sign Language, giving me the answers. Jason Punyon? Yeah, it, it is the Punyon. Yeah. That'll be a very cool backdrop. That's right. That's right. But not as many people crossing by in the background. We've got to figure out a way that people will have to cross by behind me to get somewhere. Yeah. You're required to, to go past behind Joel at least once an hour during the podcast. That's right. That's people will be people will be requested to walk behind me on the podcast. We actually have an on-topic question finally, Joel. Yes, about good. German.stackexchange. Excellent question. Excellent question. The answer is we've pretty much forgotten the war over here. It was it was a long time ago and <laughs> Sorry, it's uh, a uh, okay. It's a faulty tower joke. Yes. Um so honestly, to be honest with you, I haven't even looked at the site. So I'm not even the right person to ask, but Robert Arcado, right who has looked at it extensively, is very pleased with how the site is going, which I trust completely so he i've German? been reassured that it's going really well the, my only opinion on these these language sites yeah is you have to realize they're not it's for for people who know english learning language x okay so it, it's still kind of a baby step for us into localization meaning the site is intended for people who know english yeah. and also want to learn x where x is japanese and german and we don't just have german we also have japanese which i think started today yeah it did beta. it's a private beta today yep um what well, it, it I, I know that you're saying it's supposed to be for people who are in english learning uh, german but i'm um, looking at it right now on the german site i would say 75 percent of the questions are in are 100 percent german well, baby steps is my only point. I don't have really strong feelings about it. I just maybe teenage you know. steps. That's how. I mean, this is how you learn another language. Like if you went to a, 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 a German class at a university right now, even a absolute beginning German class, absolute beginning, uh, the the class would be conducted in German, even though you are an absolute beginner and you don't understand a word of it, because that's just considered best practice for language teaching is total immersion. I don't think this is that different from the experiments that are code review, which is an experiment. Mm-hmm. Um, programming puzzles and code golf, that's also an experiment. Um, yep. And, you know, we've said many times we're, n- we're not afraid to, to, to try things that the community is telling us they want to try. And then, you know, if it's not working, stop it. Um, right. But, but I think it's way too early to tell if it's going to work. Uh, but I do think there's enough of a mixture of English and German um, that it's not sort yeah. of the, the, the problem site where we can't tell anything what's going on unless we have... A German speaker on staff, which we actually do. I mean, Ben Dumke obviously speaks German. Yeah, I hope the uh, the meta is all in English here, so that's very interesting that the meta is in a different language, and that's um, you know part well, of that's that. That's good. Just, that was yeah. one of my concerns. Was like I can't see what's going on in meta. I need right. to see the meta. That's how I can tell. That's one of the major ways we look at the health of a site. Is what does your meta look like? Yeah. <laughs> if it's, yeah. Is it dead? Well, that's we could bad. tell. I mean, we could tell from. Statistically, even if the meta here were in a language we didn't know, we would know statistically that the meta is alive. We just would have to um, get translations to make sure that, that, you know, to make sure people were behaving. But that's something that's very, very easy for us to do, even if we didn't have a German speaker on staff. Uh, in fact, uh, we can set that up for Japanese next week. It's just get, you know, get a service to translate the, you know, occasionally stuff that we. Well, Robert said he was doing that. On some of them where he couldn't read it, he would paste it into Google Translate. Yeah, and, that, and that's not so bad. Yeah. Um. um. We had another question, which is about we have a lot of upcoming sites. Um, gardening just went. Yeah, 100%. we everything sped up all of a sudden. Why, why, why did that happen? Well, we started advertising proposals that are over fifty percent. 
as opposed I, I to all that proposals. Had yeah. Um, I'm trying to see what else we got here. Philosophy, astronomy. Wow, astronomy, philosophy, and gardening and landscaping. So we just German's been around a little while. That'll come out to public beta soon. Japanese just started today, and then I think we're doing another one this week. Probably astronomy or philosophy. We're doing two per week until we catch up. Awesome. Yay. Growth again. Well, <sighs> you know, I think there was a little bit of a lull that let us catch up. Jin had certainly plenty of work to do. Right. So we'll see. I mean, I, I don't know if I want one site for every human language. It's like German, Japanese. I mean, do we, do we want that, Joel? One I don't language? think we would have that, though. I mean, you've always no. made the point that there's only like five languages that are sort of big enough. In in IT, there are audience. That's uh, right, in our yeah. audience. Yeah, there are ten languages probably that cover a big chunk of the world's population. Um, right. But but in in IT, it's a it's a smaller number. There were actually in the five that I was talking about were the languages that I would want for programming questions. Uh, in those languages, and those were German, Japanese, Korean, Chinese, and Spanish. Um, in the first round. Second round, maybe French, Italian. You know, that's, that is curious. The Japanese and German were the two to go. That yeah. is interesting. I wonder why that is. Because they because have gigantic populations of programmers. Yeah. Gig- these I mean, are, there's, these Spanish, are... there's Spanish is at like, geez, not even 25%. Yeah, not, 23%. Nearly, as many, not nearly as many programmers, though. Yeah. <laughs> but, but Spanish is one of the big ones. It's one of the big five. I mean, the, the big five that, that I mentioned, those are the languages that... Um, MSDN, uh, the, basically the Microsoft tr- documentation is 100% translated down to the smallest you know, item is always translated in those languages. And every other language, they only have some of the documentation translated, you know, sort of based on demand or need. Um, those five, they translate every word automatically. Wow, it looks like the uh, personal productivity is going to go next, the getting things done. Oh, no. But there's only going to be <laughs> one question, and the question is going to be, how can I get more stuff done? And the answer is going to be, get off the site and go do something that you care about instead of talking about the meta. That was why I was very pleased that Merlin Mann gave up on his website, which was like the obsessive over personal productivity website that he had. Right, right. It was just like, it, it, you know, you can, you can, po- you can, it's the biggest procrastination in the world, right? Make a website about getting things done. It's like, it's right. like almost hilarious. But I know, pr- personal productivity, very important to, to people, and they'll have a lot of fun with that. I mean, that, that site, lifehacker.com, which is, I guess, on this subject, um, is is one of the biggest blogs of all time. It's huge. Yeah, it's a big topic. And, and I mean, there is some argument to be made that our engine could sort of help people focus, you know, because we are, I hate to say it this way, but, you know, sometimes I have to explain that, like, look, you know, we're not really here to sort of be very touchy-feely friendly with you. We're here to produce, like, useful information. Um, to the extent that you agree with us on that, then fantastic. Come along with us on this journey. But part of that is ruling out this this social stuff that tends to, particularly the productivity, you can see where that would be really toxic. You know, it's bad enough that you're talking about productivity all the time, but if it's productivity and it's like, what's your favorite right, 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 sure. way to organize your, your multi- Your to-do your, list. It's always your to-do list. You're always organizing a to-do list. Yeah, stop already. Well, um, maybe they'll come up with something useful and helpful and interesting. The trouble is the questions... Uh, uh, no, it's an experiment. I just wanted to point it out that it's coming up. I know um, my, our friend uh, Lowell, How To Geek, was yeah. always ranting about this. Like, this was one of his pet topics. Like, how much it drove him crazy, all the, like, personal productivity sites and, like, just how weird those communities got. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna, in fact, I might ping him after this call, just let him know this is coming up and what should we do to avoid sort of the major problems. 
with a, a productivity site um, because I'm sure he has a lot of opinions. He's actually been very helpful. He's emailed me a couple times yeah. about stuff we've been doing. And so I'll just plug his site, you know, howtogeek.com. He's got a network of sites as well that he runs. And, right. Know, friend, of, friend of the network. Friend of the network. Like, there are cousins in the League of, very, League of Terminal Justice. Very, very, very smart guy. Um, some other questions. How will you prioritize who gets chaos help? Um, yeah. I, I think the you. way to look at this is, yeah. like, go to the meta of a particular site mm-hmm. and see how many proposals they have for things that we could sort of assist with. Like, right. let me give you an example of one that, a good one that came up recently is on board games. On boardgames.stackexchange, they had a really neat plan for getting, like, new board games to community members to just review them and talk about them and right. um, create traffic in the community. And this is win-win because they get, the community gets board games, which is awesome. It's a board game community. And then it, it's a win from our perspective because we're just unlocking what they want to do anyway. We're not telling them what to do. They're telling right. us. So if you want chaos help, you need yeah. to be on your meta, like, you know, Suggesting producing things. topics, saying, yep. hey, we need Stack Exchange Inc. to, to help us do this yep. and have, like, some kind of plan. We have, we, just to we, give you, I, I just want to give people ideas that, that reflect the kind of ideas you've had. There is, there is the board games, there's ga- uh, games, video games on gaming.stackexchange. Um, we, we didn't want to actually get people cameras on photography because they're kind of expensive, but we will have a lending library of, of high-end cameras and lenses that people may want to um, check out for a, a week or two just to try them out, take some pictures, you know, uh, answer questions, ask questions, etc. So there's stuff that we can do even on some of the surprisingly expensive sites like photography where, where, where we can do something that's more reasonable, like, you know, have, you know, a few of whatever the top of the line cameras are that you, you wish you could try out, uh, make them available. Um, what are some of the other sites? There's, there's, just, there's just so much stuff uh, that we can do. And, and the more ideas that we get, um, you know, again, we're looking to um, we have funds available. We don't have ridiculous funds. We're not going to be. Um, flying people out to the Nikon factory and, and giving them one of every camera. However, uh, you know, we can have a, a couple of high-end cameras in stock, which we which we rotate. Yeah, th- that's a great plan. And I think that covers sort of like equipment rental where it's like something expensive. I mean, if right. it's a $60 game, then we're happy to seed the community with games so that they can talk about them and play them. Yep. But obviously, we're not going to seed the community with $50,000 high-speed games. <laughs> um, but one one idea I really liked, and I don't know how applicable to photo this is, so maybe the photo people can tell me, is that that really high-speed camera, is that even considered photography at that point? But anyway, all those videos you're seeing of people with these high-def cameras right. or, that, that can produce, like, you know, 100 frames per second and just seeing everything in, like, super slow motion, like puppies running. I, I said puppies. Puppies. For you. I know. You're, like, you're off in space now. You're like, what? Lasovic in the chat room says, think of the puppy movies you can make with a high-speed camera. Exactly. Exactly. So stuff like that, because I would love to see what the community produces with stuff like that. Like on photography, the the the, the photo of the week that Jen totally set that up all by himself, by the way, yeah. um, is awesome. Like I love going there and seeing the amazing things that that, that, that this community ooh, has produced. Ooh, ooh, we need that on our video wall, photo of the week. Yeah. Alex, one, <laughs> let's make it let's make it six portrait <laughs> portrait <laughs> plasma TVs. <laughs> More trust. All right, fine, fine, five. Throw throw photo exchange up on the chat up up on the use stream just for kicks. Just to just to test our ability to throw a website up on the on the chat room. Um, bacon gin. So this was a long answer to you know who who how will we prioritize who gets chaos help? The communities will because there if you're is. on the meta producing interesting 
actionable things that we can help logistically with, um, we, we will certainly make that happen. But if your meta is dead or <laughs> there's not a lot of activity, then there's not much to work with. What is that a photograph? Oh, it looks like Niagara Falls. No? Yeah. Is it? Yeah, it's Niagara Falls. That's Jin's photo. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there are some communities where there's not any real obvious thing that we can do other than just try to, you know, gently encourage people to, you know, I mean, there, there isn't, we're not, we're not, the, the chaos team, just to make it clear, is not a go shopping and buy nifty things and throw them at the community team. Uh, although sometimes that may be the right strategy, but a lot of times the strategy is just going to be, uh, you know, spreading the word and love and helping people get organized. Maybe board game people want to get together in cities and have board game sessions we have one actually at fog creek every week so uh we could open that up a little bit and uh um you know pay for pizza or something like that and also conference sponsorships we we, spo- we yep. there's really three things we do we will sponsor conferences as an entity like stack exchange Inc. sponsors the you know coffee conference. conference right um we will send people to go to conferences yep um if you're if you're a member in good standing in the community and we'll agree to sort of share what your experience at the conference we will do that we obviously encourage people to uh, speak at the conferences. That's the big one, if mm-hmm. you can. Um, but that's also available to, to, to communities. In fact, a lot of the communities have threads on that already that I started a while back. Yep. So that's another thing that we're happy to facilitate with, and the chaos team would definitely be working on. All right. Well, we're st- starting to run out of time. So this uh, this uh, week was a little bit of a weird podcast because we thought we were going to have a guest, and then that didn't quite work out, but that, that will happen Maybe sometime. next week. Uh, maybe next week, um, and uh, and we're experimenting for the first time with the chat room slash uStream thing, which I think was good. We got a couple of listener, live listener questions. Um, I think that it does make a lot of difference to just have, you know, a hundred people watching us uh, record. Um, those of you that are that are listening now, um, we we tend to record these shows every Tuesday at about four o'clock, and um, we'll uh, uh, we'll get more organized about it in the future about announcing exactly what time and and where um but you can also just follow me on twitter at spolsky and i'll tweet right before we record a show and then you can dive in and watch us uh, recording it we had about 85 85 people um in the live audience right now only we only have 35 odd employees in the entire stack exchange so there must be at least 50 and then there's my dad so there must be at least 49 anonymous people here that actually care enough about this podcast to listen to it live so thank you to the 49 uh, real people um any other plugs this week? Announcements? No. Uh, no, I think, I think we covered all the big ones. All right. See you next week. See you next week. Mm-hmm.